0: the more of us who are in menopause kind of speak up and give a positive role model so that the stigma goes, right? Because there's this stigma that menopause is about being old, you know, for women, which is like just terrible for women because, because of the way society is. I would say the way the patriarchy is does not value older women. But think of how many amazing, dynamic, fantastic women there are out there in their 50s and beyond. We don't, It's not something to be afraid of.
1: Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Today, we are tackling a subject that I have been dying to share since I started the podcast earlier this year, and that is What is really going on with your hormones in your 40s, and most importantly, how progesterone can help? Now, I invited a very special guest to talk about this topic. Her name is Laura Brighton. She's a fellow hormone warrior and the best-selling author of The Period Repair Manual. Now I invited Laura to come on to the Essentially You podcast to talk honestly about what is really going on during perimenopause and what we can do to manage this decade-long transition with grace and ease. Now she's going to also be sharing her secret superpower that we all are going to want to leverage. But before I dive into this important topic, I want to quickly share the hormone revolution that I am leading right now with twenty-eight other brilliant. Hormone and women's health experts. Earlier this year, while I was working on my book, my upcoming book, The Essential Oil Hormone Solution, I was inspired to bring together an amazing group of women to educate on the benefits of essential oils, lifestyle, self care, and nutrition, and how they play a role in women's hormone health. And the Essential Oil Hormone Summit was created. So, whether you are already using oils and you are ready to unlock the power of hormone balancing, or you're new to oils and ready to really understand how they work, or you're struggling with your hormones, ready to get your body back on track, or you're even potentially leading a movement and you want to give your tribe, your community, the best tools, then this event is for you. The Essential Oil Hormone Summit, which is happening right now, was created to raise awareness about women's hormone health and to raise money for an organization that I feel deeply connected to, and that is Days for Girls. Now, when I decided to create the summit, it wasn't just about giving you the most up-to-date information on how essential oils can be used to balance your hormones. It was about making a difference in the lives of women all over the world, especially in developing countries, because it's my mission to help women everywhere be the CEO of their health care. And this means always having solutions that work for you at your fingertips and never letting a health challenge stopping you from living your best life. Now, while in practice, as many of you know, I had very serious hormone issues and they threatened to end my career as a doctor. But thanks to the help that I got from powerful natural solutions like essential oils, nutrition, and self-care rituals, I was able to get my hormones back on track and get back into my zone of genius. And this is what I want for you, too. I want this for women everywhere. So when you sign up for this incredible free event that is going on as we speak, and you even decide to purchase the library of all these incredible talks along with all of the incredible bonuses, you are making a contribution to Days for Girls to ensure that girls all over the world don't have to miss school due to inadequate period supplies. Because by giving girls the education and the tools that they need to be able to go to school and manage their period, we're ensuring another generation doesn't have to be held hostage by her hormones and the normal functioning of her body. Because to me, when over 125 million girls around the world are missing school and missing work because they don't have adequate period and menstrual supplies, that just breaks my heart, especially when they are ridiculed and treated terribly because of their period. For me, this is a human dignity and a human rights concern, and that is why we are raising money for this beautiful cause. So will you join me in making a difference for yourself and for women everywhere? If you're ready to say yes, just head on over to the show notes at drmarisa.com, episode 42, or just go to eohormonesummit.com, or you can even just go to my website. It is up there right now at drmarisa.com. Those are all the places that you can go and get registered. And like I said, you want to do it soon because the event is happening now. Let's get back to our interview. So before Laura comes out to share insight on perimenopause and how to deal with the symptoms that can be associated with this transition, I want to quickly sing her praises. Laura Brighton is a naturopathic doctor and the period revolutionary, leading the change to better periods, informed by strong science And more than 20 years with patients, Laura is a passionate communicator about women's health and alternatives to hormonal birth control. Her book, The Period Repair Manual, is a manifesto of a natural treatment for better hormones and better periods and provides practical solutions using nutrition, supplements, and natural hormones. Now it's in its second edition. The book has been an underground sensation and has worked quietly to change the lives of tens of thousands of women. And I'm going to talk about how you can get the first couple chapters for free towards the end. Welcome to the show, Laura Bryden. How are you doing today, my dear? I'm really well, Marisa. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is such a pleasure. And most importantly, one, I love your book and I love the topic that we're going to be Really connecting on today, which is what happens in our 40s, specifically around the estrogen roller coaster of perimenopause and how progesterone can step in and help. I know this is a topic that a lot of women, I just feel like it's like this limbo land that women don't really understand. And so, what I want to do before we go into talking about how we can support our hormones in our 40s. I would love to know a little bit about your journey and what had you want to dive into this area of focus for women and how did you become this incredible women's hormone expert?
0: (laughs) I started out as a scientist, a wildlife biologist. And if I think back to that time, you know, 25 years ago, I was studying sex differences in the wild of different animals of their foraging behaviors. And I realized now that must have had quite a deep impact on me because now here I am almost, you know, 2 to 3 decades later, working in naturopathic medicine as a full-time naturopathic doctor over the last couple of decades. And during that time I was just drawn more and more to women's issues. I was treating a lot of women for period problems. And I could I think through the lens of a biologist, I could just see, you know, look, women's bodies we're normal to start with, you know, what women's bodies are normal, but we certainly are different from the general paradigm of health that's put, put forward for men. So I'm trying to create quite a shift of attention to women's health with my own patients and then, you know, spreading the word to the world with my book and also just finding that women's health, women's period problems in particular, are not that complicated. We've been kind of led to believe that it's this mysterious thing that's happening. But actually, most period problems respond really well to basic things like nutrition. Mm.
1: And just I know we introduced your book already earlier, but it is the period repair manual. And so that kind of became your work where you were working with women, particularly around their period. And then I mean, clearly, women are still having their period in their 40s. But have you noticed that women become a little bit more aware of what's going on with their hormones as they get older? Or do you find that even younger women start to notice some changes as well?
0: Well, it's a big picture because, of course, what's happening for a lot of younger women is they're going on and off the pill or coming off the pill, which can be a struggle and is associated with its own set of hormone problems. But then we have another situation where it's during the up to 10 to 12 years before menopause, we can start to experience some quite tumultuous changes. You referred to the estrogen roller coaster. And what I call the progesterone crash, that can happen anywhere as late as our, anywhere as early, sorry, as early as our kind of mid to late 30s, which for some women does actually coincide with coming off the pill or other things that are going on. There can be a bit of overlap.
1: Mm, I absolutely agree. Well, let's specifically dive into the topic that I know we, I'm so happy that you're talking about, and that is what is going on with our
0: hormones in our 40s? Yeah. Well, our estrogen starts going up and down very wildly. And contrary to what we've been told, estrogen does not just nicely decline slowly over those years leading up to menopause. It can actually spike up to three times higher than it was when we were younger. And I love estrogen, but actually too much estrogen is quite stimulating. It stimulates a histamine release in the body, which can can be associated with heavy periods and migraines and severe PMS, that kind of picture. And then when estrogen crashes from high to low, that can affect mood quite profoundly as well. It starts to affect sleep and heavy periods from the high estrogen.
1: And when we're talking specifically about estrogen, do you see other lifestyle, lifestyle habits, other things that come into play that could also kind of disrupt not only do we have these rapid fluctuations, where there are highs, really high highs, and really low lows, but are there other things happening in a woman's life, particularly at this age, that can
0: lend to creating some of this this roller coaster experience? There's a lot of things that affect estrogen clearance, so just you know, talk about that for a minute. For estrogen to do its best for us, we need to be able to remove it safely from the body, and that happens through the gut. So, any kind of gut problem can worsen the estrogen roller coaster, So can alcohol. I do have to say a word about alcohol because I found during my own perimenopause years that I just had to stop having alcohol. I found my tolerance for it decrease. I think that happens for a few different reasons. But alcohol certainly can increase the amount of estrogen in the body, and it's you know that's not safe for breasts and other, Things. And a lot of this is worsened by stress. So I think the segue for me is thinking about alcohol. You know, women might be using that to cope with stress because our fort- late 30s, early, you know, mid 40s can be a busy time with kids, with career peaking, with aging parents, lots of things going on.
1: Mm. I absolutely agree. You know, that's what a lot of the things that I've seen women just having a carrying a lot of load. You're right. Either raising children and then taking care of parents. And careers, I feel like women are trying to do all the things for everybody all the time. And that can play a major role in that as well. And then you're talking about also the progesterone crash. And let's talk a little bit about that as well, because
0: that I see so frequently. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, the, the, word, the phrase progesterone crash is just what comes to me when I'm sitting there with some of my patients. Look, progesterone is hard to make. It's our luscious, precious hormone that we can only make after ovulation. And only if we're not too stressed and you know everything is going perfectly, then progesterone is like the little luxury hormone we make in a good cycle. And it's hard enough to make when we're young in our 20s and 30s. It becomes very hard to make in our 40s. And you know, I think by the time we're in our late, 40s, you know, I'm 48. I don't know how many cycles I'm still ovulating, probably the occasional one, but there's not a lot of progesterone happening anymore. And it's not necessarily, you know, my fault or a woman's fault. That's just what happens during perimenopause. And losing progesterone is a problem, it's a big part of the symptom picture because progesterone is normally what buffers us from that up and ups and downs of estrogen. It buffers the nervous system. Progesterone is very calming for the brain. It stabilizes the adrenal axis, the HPA axis. And progesterone also, as you know, and I'm sure your listeners know, counteracts estrogen in terms of estrogen stimulating effects on the breasts and on the uterine lining. So losing progesterone in our 40s is one reason why women start to have crazy heavy flooding Periods, and let's just be clear. I mean, you probably heard stories from your own patients. You know, those periods. Some women face periods in their forties where they're losing lots of blood, a lot, like a couple, a couple mm-hmm. cups of blood, or something like that per cycle. Which is, and the, keep bear in mind, the normal is eighty milliliters. So these women are losing, you know, ten times more than they should be, and that can end up. That can get pretty serious pretty quickly. That's when when that women end up with a hormonal IUD, for example, which they never thought they would have to resort to. They end up with surgical procedures. They might even end up having their uterus removed. Back when I started practicing in the 90s, most women, most of my patients in their kind of late 40s, 50s had had their uterus removed for various reasons. They don't do that anymore so much, thank goodness. But yeah, the stakes are high
1: the stakes are high. And I absolutely agree with you. And so I know a lot of women aren't even clear as to why they're bleeding so much. And that is our kind of our protective hormone is dissipating. We don't have that ability to make it. So let's talk a little bit about now that we recognize that buffer is such an important part, having progesterone, at least easing us through this this transition, because at the end of the day, when we're living in these fast-paced worlds here at me in the US and or in other places around the world you know I don't see womens not that their lifestyle shouldn't shift but sometimes a lot of that lifestyle you know depending on their workload or their family load some of that just can't shift so what can we really be what can we do about this when we do have a decline of progesterone and, and I think what you're saying when you say progesterone crash is that they probably just look exhausted when they come into the office
0: <laughs> well I I mean, there are, women are crashing in terms of their nervous systems as well. I think that, yeah, there's that sense of the word. I think for me, I also mean they're just not making any progesterone at all. Like there's not seeing it on the blood test and, at all. And that's coming out in having, starting to have irregular periods, these crazy heavy periods and sleep disturbance. Those are all symptoms that I associate quite keenly with progesterone no progesterone actually what i might say at this point is might be useful for your listeners is to understand how to assess progesterone i guess just how to know if this is indeed what has happened because there's a lot of confusion about progesterone testing and i have a blog post called the right way to test progesterone so listeners can have a look there as well but basically whether we're doing a blood test or a urine test i, I mainly use blood tests in my practice but To test progesterone, we need to test during this relatively small window of approximately two weeks after ovulation. And the only way to kind of really know for sure that that you're in that window is either to be tracking your temperatures and see, yes, I'm in my luteal phase from the rise in temperatures, or to do your best to guess, you know, to test about a week before the period and then actually wait for the period to come and say, did this test turn out to be? during the right time, like about a week before the period. Because if not, if your period was late and the progesterone test was, you know, three or four weeks before the period, then it's normal for it to be low at that time. It's just really worth mentioning because I have so many readers who say, oh, I've got low progesterone. And I'm like, really? Do you though? Like, (laughs)
1: Absolutely. Well, I do find a lot of readers do, but you're right. There is that, that super small window to test and it's that week before your period. And so you've got to be tracking it one way or the other. Besides tracking it with temperature, is there any other way that you recommend tracking it? Let's say a woman is pretty consistent with her period. Could she just track it with an app?
0: Well, the only way to know for certain that ovulation happened is temperature or a blood test. Totally. But a lot of women can get a sense of their ovulations with fertile mucus. Bearing in mind, fertile mucus isn't a guarantee that ovulation will happen. It's just a sign of high estrogen that would typically happen just before ovulation. But for those of us in our 40s who are used to tracking our cycles, you know, I've definitely noticed, you know, after about 47, kind of you know, this year, 48, I'm not seeing as much, as many ovulatory signs as I used to. And so I think I can probably safely assume that some cycles are what's called anovulatory. That's a useful word for people to know about because it means a cycle where ovulation did not happen. And it's called anovulatory. And it's actually quite common. So it's definitely common during our 40s, it's common for, at other times too. It can happen because of undereating. It can happen because of PCOS, which is actually probably PCOS is probably the biggest cause of anovulatory cycles. So for any women with PCOS, there is potentially going to be a double whammy of PCOS when PCOS meets perimenopause. <laughs> you know there might have been already the problem of insulin resistance. And anovulatory cycles associated with polycystic ovarian syndrome, and a lot of that can get worse with perimenopause. I I imagine you've talked about PCOS on your podcast. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate a little bit more clarification
1: there too, just kind of giving women an idea of what this looks like. So I really appreciate that, Laura. Yeah. Okay, so one of the things, you know, we kind of got a good sense of when we should be measuring progesterone, what we should be looking at, how we can definitively know right after we're ovulating. So I appreciate those those details because we get a more clear picture there. But one of the things I'm finding as well, which really breaks my heart, is so often I'm meeting with women in their 40s, even into their 50s, And they're still on birth control. So why is hormonal birth control... I know it breaks your heart, too. I know. not. (laughs) I'm just always dumbfounded. I I have to pick my jaw up off the table when I hear a 55-year-old woman is still on birth control. So tell me a little bit about why hormonal birth control is not a good
0: option here. Okay, let's be clear. Hormonal birth control, all types, but especially the estrogen types, are Mm -hmm. essentially a type of hormone replacement. So your, your listeners might be familiar with the term hormone replacement therapy, you know, given to menopausal women. That's essentially what the pill is as well, because the pill works by creating kind of a chemical menopause, you know, shutting down ovarian function and then coming back in with these drugs, which are not as good as our own hormones. So that's true at any age. I actually think... Any the, age. Yeah, I yes. think it's... I actually just think, 40 and above. No, that's true. It, that's what the pill does to women. It creates kind of a chemical menopause and then comes in with hormone replacement that forces a bleed. So, I mean, I actually think the worst age group to be using the pill are teenagers, but that's a topic for another day. But probably the second worst after teenagers are perimenopausal women, basically because it's such a substandard type of hormone replacement. And... The endocrinologist, Professor Pryor, who helped me with my book, Period of Manuals*, made the just really blunt statement that women during perimenopause should not take the pill. It's just that synthetic estrogen isn't helping anything. There's no progesterone in the pill, so it's not relieving any of this progesterone deficiency. It's not good for bones. It's not good for insulin sensitivity when insulin resistance is becoming more of a problem during perimenopause. And it can mask... Menopause. So you can have gone, you're over. I mean, if you think about it. Yes, you could have gone yeah through menopause.
1: Exactly. And had no
0: idea. Exactly. So pill bleeds are not real periods. So you're having these no. kind of drug induced bleeds, which there's no reason to do, actually. With, right. There's no reason to bleed monthly on the pill, but you're doing that month after month. And then, be- meanwhile, you could have just passed that point where your ovaries were never going to, nothing's happening anymore. I mean, they were, you st- the pill doesn't change anything in terms of the timing. Of when your ovaries are done, that seems to be pretty hardwired in terms of our genetic blueprint. There's a certain age where we enter menopause, when there's no going to be no more ovarian activity, or very very little relatively ovarian activity after that. And yeah, that I've seen patients where that's happened might have happened five years ago, and they're still on the pill. When, I mean, they'd be better off on a better type of hormone replacement if they want to use hormone replacement. Right, absolutely. <laughs> um okay, so
1: let's so yeah. now that we've got some clarity there, and I really yeah. appreciate that clarity. I think you and I feel the same way. So what should one do? Let's paint a scenario. Let's paint a scenario where we've got fluctuating estrogen levels and maybe we've experiencing some estrogen dominance and it could I know that we can have estrogen dominance even when we have low estrogen, but let's just say we have fluctuating estrogen levels and we have little to no progesterone. And really we should still have a little bit of progesterone left. And we're having some pretty crazy symptoms. We don't know what's going on. Our bodies are feeling just a little bit like a stranger. What are some of the recommendations to really support women at this age?
0: Yeah. Well, I I mean, I go straight to what I call my rescue prescription because i'll be sitting there looking at someone in the grips of those symptoms especially if it's mood or sleep symptoms women can't really tolerate them for very long no, and all they're very being, long and honestly all they get from their doctors is antidepressants is
1: or you know, sleep meds
0: or sleep yeah. meds yeah There's very little being offered to them and they're just being told well you know it's just that time of you know time of life and but i don't accept that i mean i know women women can be pretty, feel pretty miserable during this time. Actually, what we, what we know from the research is actually our 40s, the 10 years leading up to menopause, are when, if there are going to be bad symptoms, that's usually when they happen. So menopause itself can be relatively tame compared to the kind of few years leading up to it. So one thing for women to understand is this is temporary. You're not going to always be like this. You know, if, if if you are getting bad symptoms, it doesn't mean this is your life now. It just means you have to get through this transition. It's like a second puberty. This is a lot of people talk exactly about it that. Exactly what it's too. like is a second yeah. puberty. It it's just very, feels
1: a lot less tolerable. Because when yeah. you're a teenager, you're just, I don't know. You, you still haven't figured things out.
0: <laughs> well, and also society is more supportive of teenagers. It's Maybe not as supportive children. as we could be, but we're not supportive. There seems to be this very... I don't know, kind of almost judgmental. Maybe I'm just imagining things, no, it's true. but like we this, have
1: tolerance, hence yeah. all the antidepressants.
0: Yeah, it's like sort sort yourself out. You know, come on, exactly. Let's get yourself together. together. But we know that, for example, women have the risk for anxiety and depression goes up by three times during perimenopause, so during our 40s, and then it drops again. So the, what the research shows is post menopause, you know, into your late 50s and 60s. Women are back at their just normal level, whatever, you know, there's no higher risk of depression there than at any other time in their life. So it's really just these kind of 10 years. And just to be clear, the average age for menopause is 51. That means periods stopping, but it can happen. It's normal for periods to stop anywhere up to as young as 45. That's normal, which means potentially perimenopause could be starting by 35 if someone's, you know, a little bit unlucky genetically (laughs) to have that be their reality. And yeah, so in terms of what do I do? Look, I do, I look at them, I, get, I go to my what I call my rescue prescription. The first thing is magnesium. It's very boring, but it actually mm-hmm. really it. helps and I I use a magnesium formula with made with glycine. So I like magnesium glycinate because glycine itself it's the amino acid that the magnesium is joined to and glycine has a calming effect on the body it also aids with estrogen detoxification so you know it's just kind of a win win and then it's i use a, many wins yeah, right it's <laughs> yeah i use a formula that also has the amino acid taurine which also has a calming effect on the brain kind of similar to glycine also helps with estrogen detoxification this is i have this magnesium powder i can get access in australia for my patients with those three things and a few activated b vitamins and i would say of even of the very symptomatic patients that i treat about 50% of the time that's all they need plus of course what we mentioned before you know just a bit more self care you know realizing this isn't going to last forever they just need to maybe curtail their work hours put some boundaries around sleep you know make time for themselves time for exercise all those good things, which I know you probably talk about with your other guests.
1: You know what? It wasn't, you know, so funny saying boring. I wouldn't say boring, but you know what? (laughs) That feels so simple and so doable. That feels so manageable. And I think that's what really women, you know, nothing, nothing like to have a protocol where they're just like, oh my gosh, that just feels overwhelming. Like one more thing I got to chalk to my list. Okay. So we got 50% covered, but we still got 50% who aren't.
0: Yeah. And they haven't, the 50% who they might, honestly, everyone feels a little bit better on magnesium. Oh, absolutely. But yeah. So there's
1: at least a benefit. I mean, always, oftentimes we're magnesium deficient and magnesium is even great for energy too. I mean, there's so many wonderful benefits there. So no, no matter what, it's moving the needle in a positive way.
0: Yeah. But there are definitely going to be some saying, well, that's great. You know, I feel a little bit better, but I'm still not sleeping or... But I'm still bleeding through my clothes, you know, <laughs> or I've got this terrible PMS that I just want to yeah. just kill somebody, kill someone. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I get women saying things like that. Well, I've said it. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, it's, I think obviously, you do have these kind of dramatic, violent thoughts, which are quite scary. I know, but it's, I mean, it, it makes people feel better to know that it's actually quite common. And none of my patients have acted on it. So that's good to know <laughs> um, that, that I know, know of. That I know of. <laughs> <laughs> So then I'll look at, okay, well, I will just mention natural progesterone. I mean, this is a bioidentical hormone. I don't think it's the cure-all for every single period problem out there, but there is a group of women for whom it can be helpful, and that group is perimenopause because of this progesterone crash. So, you know, it's available as cream, or you can get a, a capsule. The the prescription item is called Prometrium. That's natural progesterone. And just, I'll say again, that's very very different from the progestin drugs, which are in hormonal birth control drugs, such as levonorgestrel and drospirenone, that are not progesterone. In fact, one of the most common progestins used in the hormonal IUD and many types of pills is levonorgestrel. It's actually more similar structurally to testosterone than it is to progesterone, but it's not even like testosterone either. It's, it's just its own animal <laughs> with its own synthetic animal yeah and it causes hair loss and depression and anyway that's a whole other i keep you can see i keep going back, veering back to hormonal birth control because i feel so passionately about it
1: but well passionately against it absolutely i and i kind of just want you to go in that direction <laughs> but i know we have more to cover yeah i'm just gonna have to have you come back
0: yeah for sure okay so progesterone is again progesterone cream is quite simple i think it's best to use it under the guidance of someone you Know a practitioner, or at least someone who kind of knows how to use it safely, it's, it's pretty safe. And then beyond that, there's just all kinds of things in that next layer. Like I use a lot of adaptogen herbal medicines. So I like the herb ashwagandha for the, during this time, it's quite stabilizing for the HPA adrenal axis. You can do a lot with herbs. I mean, there's some of the herbal medicines like Buplerum can help to clear estrogen and also very soothing to the nervous system. So I'll use a combination of those types of things. And then if, if, if the big problem is heavy periods, I'm just going to state for your listeners, actually, just kind of point point form here, what works for that is these crazy heavy periods of perimenopause, which are different than the heavy periods of teenagers. I just did a whole webinar, um, little conversation about teenagers last week. So th- but for older women the treatment would be I would say dairy-free diet at least for 3 months because dairy makes periods heavier. And turmeric which reduces prostaglandins and just makes periods lighter, even works when there's something like adenomyosis or some other underlying reasons that might be driving the heavy periods and Less alcohol because – well, less or no alcohol because alcohol increases estrogen and estrogen makes periods heavier. And a supplement called calcium deglucarate, which is my new favorite for clearing estrogen, it really does seem to help. I, I, um, I don't know if you've used that with your mm-hmm. I have. Plants. Yeah. And it's – it's again, I like it because it's simple. It's safe. It's not, it's expensive, not expensive. Very easily yeah. accessible. Yep. And then for my really crazy heavy (laughs) period patients, I would say that's when a progesterone, a natural progesterone capsule might be indicated. Again, the brand is Prometrium, or you can get it compounded from a compounding chemist in capsule form. A doctor has to prescribe that. And just one little handy tip is that just simple ibuprofen taken for the couple days of the, the first two heavy days of the period can reduce the flow by 50%. Which, together with everything else, can actually bring the flow down to a more manageable level, and this could save women from having to undergo a surgical procedure or potentially having the hormonal IUD, which would be like Marina IUD, intrauterine device. Which I'm not. I'm not anti anti. You know, certainly I think maybe there are some times when that, if it's a question of the IUD or having your uterus taken out, then I'd say probably the IUD is worth considering, but. My experience is most women don't don't need it, it once they can, if they can use those other treatments that I talked about, and the IUD is linked with depression, so it's not without systemic side effects. Yeah, that's wonderful. I love that. I love I love those
1: suggestions, and I love that that this is. Very manageable. I mean, so often women were getting hysterectomies or having their uterus removed just because of heavy bleeding and not realizing that there were some other simple options. I wanted to steer back. We were talking about the HPA axis. And would you talk a little bit about, so using adaptogens for that and and where in those situations? So just with women who are, you know, you're seeing are dealing with chronic stress or chronic sleep disturbances or mood disturbances. Is that usually when the adaptogens are coming into play for you?
0: Yeah, I think what's happening, I have a blog post called Why Stress Hits Hard in Your 40s. So what I see with my patients and certainly myself, I think I I noticed this, is Mm -hmm. just not able to cope with stress as well as I used to. And, you know, just, even just little things like, you know, having to navigate traffic or just suddenly everything just seems a little bit harder. And I think it's just that stress response system, the HPA access is not as resilient, And it just needs more support. And that support can look like lots of different things. I mean, I do yoga, you know, try to get some some sleep. I try to stop work by eight o'clock. These I have my little, everyone's got probably their own little set of things they need to do to create some boundaries. But that's where the adaptogen herbs can be quite helpful as well. I've basically been on ashwagandha on and off probably for five years. (laughs) To me, it's just the thing that holds it even.
1: Yeah, I love ashwagandha, and I've had fluctuating—not well—low progesterone and stress. You know, cortisol levels have been off over the years, and it's lifestyle. And so, making those lifestyle changes—I know it all is interconnected—but taking adaptogenic herbs have been always really beneficial to me, kind of helping. But then clearly, you're making decisions, and so having, like you said, having that list of things that are in accordance to making sure that your body's functioning—I think—are so
0: important as well. Yeah, yeah, you can't really do it without that. There is no. You can't drag pill. yourself
1: into the ground and then I always say, and then, then throw some cream on top of it. You know? Yeah, exactly.
0: I say to my patients, okay, there's no supplement for that. Like that situation that you're describing to me of a 60 hour work week and commuting an hour each way. And you know, this whole kind of story. It's like, there's no supplement that can fix that. Agreed. Absolutely. I totally agree.
1: And how often do you find that that is the scenario? Yeah, quite often. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's just, just I,
0: I see patients in Sydney. It's a busy place. It is you know, a busy place. You know, the mortgages are high there. I don't, people just work, they work hard. They work long hours. And that seems to be the culture, the norm there. And yeah, it's, it's not sustainable, I would say, for most
1: people. It's proliferated everywhere. Even in little small towns, they still feel like, and particularly women, are just so busy. Busy with their families, busy with their life, and one of the things that I, I've touched upon in some of my content and articles and podcasts, in particular, is that there's a there's a belief mismatch that we need to shift our belief into prioritizing ourselves as much as we prioritize everybody else. And for me, that was why I worked. I felt like I worked so hard all those years. I I really thought my belief was that my self worth was driven by how much I did for everyone else. You know, I watched my mom do it. I watched my grandma do it. No wonder they were in what we called hormone chaos. You know, and just, they they never, there was never time for themselves. And I just, I grew up just, that was the way
0: we do what we do. That's the way we do the things. That's the way women do it. That's why we've been taught to do it. You're right. It is about kind of proving our worth to society somehow. And and then going into perimenopause and proving our worth again. We're trying to be really stoic, pretend it's not happening. <laughs> Pretend and just carry on, but it's not always possible.
1: No, no, exactly. Okay, one more thing I wanted to ask is, and this is such a great question because I know a lot of women like, and I think that you put some clarity on it as well. A lot of women think that oh, menopause, and a lot of women don't want to. At least in my experience, with my patients that I've worked with in the past, or my readers, they don't. No one wants to talk about menopause. No one wants to know that they're in menopause. No one wants to do, do, do. And really, I find, just like you had said, it's really not menopause where we're really struggling, but maybe it's this fear that if it's as bad now in this perimenopause kind of phase, that it must be really horrible on the other side. So what are some of the good things about being on the other side of that? It's been a year, no more periods, then the wild fluctuations are stopping. What is something good to be looking forward
0: to? There was recently an Australian study that tracked, I think it was quite a few hundred women, Maybe it was into the thousands of women post-menopause. And the general consensus was that most women report feeling pretty fantastic. (laughs) You know, their health, their mood kind of stabilizes. Maybe, you know, they move into an easier time with their work. I do get that a lot from my patients. I've certainly talked to women in their late 50s, 60s who are just pretty happy. Yeah, and they almost seem to have blocked out the memory of that hard years in their late 40s, early 50s. And if it's like blocking out childbirth or something, you just, yeah, just forget that any of that. Just forget it happened. So Professor Pryor has a quote. She said, women need to know that the tumultuous time of perimenopause is followed by the nice phase of your life called menopause. And she refers to menopause as all the decades after our periods stop. And that's for most of us, that's one third of our lives. If you think about it, that's a long, that's a big chunk of a lifetime to be spent during those postmenopause years. So we don't need to be afraid of it. I'm not afraid of it. You know, I think sometimes there are some other treatments required during menopause itself. We can touch on this briefly, but overall, you know, I think it can be quite a, a relatively easy time in terms of health. And I think one of the things that might change this conversation is the more of us who are in menopause kind of speak up and give a positive role model so that the stigma goes, right? Because it's this stigma that menopause is about being old, you know, for women, which is like just terrible for women because because of the way society is. I would say the way the patriarchy is does not value older women, but think of how many amazing, dynamic, fantastic women there are out there in their fifties and beyond. We don't, it's not something to be afraid of. I absolutely agree. Oh, wow. I am just so enjoyed this conversation.
1: Anything else? I mean, you just gave some great inspiration, but I have one more question for you, my dear. And that is in living your life, being a doctor, serving a lot of women, taking care of your family, being an amazing woman yourself, what is one thing, one daily habit or natural solution that you do every single day that you feel really
0: moves the needle for you or nourishes your body? For me personally, it's walking. I'm an avid walker. <laughs> I do like my favorite holiday is a walking holiday where I just walk solidly for 3 days. So that gives you some perspective of how much I love it. But yeah, I walk every day. I just before before I came in and rushed to my computer to talk to you, I just came out for went out for a 45 minute walk. So it's just an easy way to get some sun, some fresh air, ozone, move the body? Is it just kind of free thinking? Do you set
1: intention or are you listening to a podcast? What are you, what are you listening to? What are you doing when you're walking?
0: I listen to music. Oh, I've nice. got some little um, walking playlists that I just yeah, for me, it's 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 yeah, kind of meditative, but with music. Mm-hmm.
1: I love it. And I love music. I love, we're, I'm a big hiker. So I hear you. And I did a walk today too, because I wasn't going to get a chance to hike. It's just that kind of day. Well, my dear, it was such a pleasure and you have a wonderful freebie. So tell me about the freebie that you got, like this wonderful gift you're giving us. And then girl, where can we find you? Cause you did mention some blogs. And so we want to make sure that we can go and check you out.
0: Yeah. So my freebie is a, a download of the first two chapters of my book, the free PDF, and I'll give you the link for that. And People can find me at larabryden.com. From there, they can link to my book, Period Repair Manual. And all of my social media is Bryden. Very easy. At larabryden. <laughs> Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. Yep. Well, thank you. And yes, you did keep it easy there.
1: So we'll have your amazing gift in our show notes. So you guys, all you got to do is click that on the website or inside the podcast and you guys can find that anywhere. Laura, honey, it was such a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your incredible wisdom. I just had such a fun time connecting with you today.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much.
1: Bye. One thing that I think women aren't aware of is the light at the end of the tunnel once we enter menopause. So often we confuse perimenopause with menopause, and really where the big hormone fluctuations come, as Laura had mentioned today in the interview, is during perimenopause, right? We get those highs and those lows of of our reproductive hormones. It's after we hit menopause do things start to kind of level out. And not to say that there isn't stuff going on post-menopause, because there definitely is, but at least things begin to level out a little bit. So something to actually look forward to. I know so often there's a lot of stigma around menopause, the word menopause, or even what happens after menopause, but really that's a time where things really start to settle out. If you ask women, I feel like I have a lot of conversations with women after menopause and things just don't feel as erratic and as crazy as perimenopause. And what I loved about this interview is that Laura gave us a lot to consider for how to manage those ups and downs during our 40s and even earlier for some women. You know, for me, I personally started perimenopause in my late 30s and knew immediately that something had shifted in me. I just felt like my resilience had decreased a little. And I learned very quickly that self-care was a necessity. I think the biggest lesson that we can take from this interview is to give ourselves permission to listen to our bodies and to give ourselves grace. Incorporating more self-care and just taking moments to pause I think is going to be so critical during these years. And I really want to emphasize not burning yourself out. I know easier said than done because I've done it lots of times, more than I can count, but I think we just need to be a little bit more gentle with ourselves, probably a little bit more than we are being right now. Now, if you find yourself with some unanswered questions after this interview, I really want to invite you to grab Laura's amazing gift today. Her book, The Period Repair Manual, is simply amazing, and getting the first two chapters is such a wonderful gift. So how you can download those first two chapters is just go to the show notes at drmarisa.com episode 42, or head to the website, you'll be able to see that episode, you'll be able to download the show notes, and get the first couple chapters of The Period Repair Manual for free. Now, I also want to just remind you to be sure to join me this week for the free online event, the Essential Oil Hormone Summit. Myself and 28 remarkable women have gathered together for a cause way bigger than ourselves. The interviews are powerful, and they will shift the way that you approach your body and your health care. If you love the podcast, I know you're going to love the summit because I interviewed these beautiful women, and the content is amazing. So again, head on over to the show notes at drmarisa.com episode 42 or just go to the eohormonesummit.com to register today well thank you so much for stopping by and listening in to the essentially you podcast the upcoming episode features a brilliant light one of my good friends razzy Berry, is literally a force of nature and she is on the mission to educate women about getting to the root cause of their concerns our conversation dives into the connection between relationships and hormones, because yes, there is a connection there, so you're not going to want to miss this episode. Until next time, I hope that you guys have a wonderful day, and I hope to see you at the Essential Oil Hormone Summit. Talk soon. Bye.